0: Good morning, everyone. It's a blessing to be together. Thanks for coming to Calvary Chapel, Sydney, and for checking us out online. And may the Lord just minister to our hearts as we read his word, as we celebrate him together. Um, one announcement, actually two, we have a quarterly meeting taking place after the service today. So I encourage you to stick around for that. Just hear about what the Lord is doing in our fellowship. Uh, and next week, following the service, we will have a barbecue And if you're interested in attending and uh, want any more information, please let Phil and Allie know. And I think their email is in the directory. I don't have it on hand. Or if you guys can put that slide up there quickly. Um, It's a great time. So meat is all provided. And if you're wanting to bring something, please let them know. And it's a great time of fellowship together. So we be in Job chapter 19, starting in verse 1, and let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, that you are holy, that you are distinct and sacred and perfect and awesome and excellent above everything that's been made because you are our creator. You are the sustainer of all things. You are by your word, things were created and exist. And thank you, Lord, that you have made us new creations through faith in Jesus Christ Thank you for the life you've given us, that in you is life. You are the way, the truth, and the life. We thank you, Lord, for this book. Thank you that there is much to be gleaned from it and for all you've taught us so far and how much more you have to say. And I pray you would open the eyes of our hearts to see you, to receive your truth, to walk in your ways, and to glorify and proclaim you now and forever in Jesus' name. Amen. As a teen, I had a lot of vinyl records. Some albums they had like a side. I would only listen to that one side because the other one was like, eh, it's just not as good. Or you would you would want to listen to a particular song. And so I learned to drop that needle into the groove to just hear that one song that I wanted to hear. And all right, I've had enough of that. And when you get a CD player, it was like you could put stuff on repeat. You don't have to listen to the whole album. You don't have to get up. From your chair, you can just hear that one song again and again that you really like hearing. And I've seen people do this with movies. They, they'll skip the boring stuff or the parts they don't really like to get to the good stuff. You know, they want to skip ahead to the part they like. And I am convinced it is a good thing life does not have a fast forward or rewind button. Because if it did have a fast forward feature, we would be always looking for the future, wanting to know what the future holds and, and not living presently where God has us. Or we'd be always returning back to a previous time, maybe of ignorance of what would happen or uh, something about it that, that we really like. And we would just live in the past. We would never move ahead. Are you a person who in a tough time wants to skip to the good part? You Want to skip to like Anything but this. I just want this to be over. I I just like to move on. And time seems to move slow. Sometimes we want a season to last forever. Like this is so good. This day, this event, this time, this feeling. I just want it to, I just want to stay right here. But the irony is we can't appreciate the good seasons as much when we haven't experienced difficult ones. And we could skip a book like Job because it deals with troubles and sorrow and trials that are, that are ongoing and the difficulties. And there are priceless things that God has to share with each one of us. Sometimes we'd love to skip dinner and go straight to dessert, but we know that that's not as nourishing and satisfying as eating the main that has a, a well-balanced diet for us. I like that this book, it's so valuable in giving us pause to consider ourselves, to say, we look at the suffering of Job and wonder how, and we can identify with him at times when he struggled, because we all have struggles. We can also look at his friends and say, am I like them? Am I a miserable comforter who's accusing, who's impatient, who's annoyed because of the situation you see and you, you have the answer for it? but it doesn't seem to be heard. And Job, he felt in darkness. His, his eyes are puffy from crying. He, he's straining in vain to catch a glimpse of hope somewhere in his situation. And we see in this passage, there's this flash of prophetic insight where God speaks through him about the Savior who would come. And it's awesome. And I wonder over the grace and goodness of God that revealed himself to little Samuel as he laid in his bed, not knowing who God was. God spoke to him. And Job, he didn't have the word of God that we have today written out for him, the new and the old Testament, but he knew God and he had hope and a confidence in God and his faith remained unwavering in the midst of trials. And that's a faith that God gives us too, to hold fast to him, to trust him, to believe him. Job was assured of his redemption because of his faith in God. And that hope is available for you today. So let's begin in Job 19 verse one. Then Job answered and said, how long will you torment my soul and break me in pieces with words? These 10 times you have reproached me. You are not ashamed that you have wronged me. And if indeed I have erred, my error remains with me. If indeed you exalt yourselves against me and plead my disgrace against me, know then that God has wronged me and has surrounded me with his net. He's speaking in response to of Bildad who asked, how long until you put an end of words? Like how long until you stop speaking, Job, and start listening? And, and he alleged that Job didn't even know God because of the questions he was asking. But then Job answers with a question of his own. He says, how long are you going to torment my soul with your words, breaking me in pieces? He wasn't hiding the fact that he was hurting. He wasn't proud and arrogant saying that nothing was getting to him. No, he was a broken, broken man as he's laying in those ashes and dust. They reproached him. They wronged him with their false accusations. They showed no sympathy or compassion for him. And they rushed to judgment that you brought this upon yourself, Job, and it falls for you to get out of it. And when Job asked how long, he's not asking for like a definite time. Like, well, Tuesday, we'll knock this off. He's just saying, guys, this has gone on long enough. Please stop. How long until you just stop attacking me? Stop blaming me. And it says he, they reproached him 10 times. Jacob said that Laban changed his Wages 10 times. It's an idiom to say all the time, often, you're always doing this. And that's what they were doing to him. I mean, this is the man who was once the greatest man of the East, Job. He was offering sacrifices to God just in case his kids sinned against God in some way that he didn't know about. And while he was doing that, he receives word that all of his livestock, his camels, his donkeys, his sheep, they're all stolen or destroyed. That all but a handful of his servants were dead, and also all his ten children had died when a house collapsed on them. Then he's struck with this incurable disease, and he's miserable. And his wife is saying, Curse God and die. And he has friends that come, and they say, This is all your fault, Job. All his friends could offer him was like, God's judging you for your sin, except they had no evidence of it. They had nothing on him, they didn't have the law. To be able to point to things that he had erred, and God had said he was an upright and just man. A point of contention was that Job's claim was, God is afflicting me, and they say, You brought it on yourself. That was one point that they they just would not agree on. And it had not been revealed by God or anyone. That he had erred in any way. And he says, if I have erred, he's leaving the possibility open, but he says, it's inside of me. It's something you can't see and something I don't know. So yeah, it's a possibility, but it's nothing like what you're saying. I haven't fallen into a trap of sin because in the previous passage, Bill Dad was talking about sin being like a hunter that was hunting him down and setting these snares and traps and he'd fallen into it. He had given in and he's like, it's not like that. God has me in his net. Verse seven, if I cry out concerning wrong, I am not heard. If I cry aloud, there is no justice. He has fenced up my way so that I cannot pass. And he has set darkness in my paths. He has stripped me of my glory and taken the crown from my head. He breaks me down on every side and I am gone. My hope he has uprooted like a tree. He has also kindled his wrath against me. And he counts me as one of his enemies. His troops come together and build their road against me. They encamp all around my tent. Job did not feel like God or his friends were hearing him. They weren't listening to him. They were so primed to make their point. So sure that they were correct in their assessment of Job's situation, what he needed to do. They weren't listening to the things he was saying and they didn't have compassion or sympathy for him. Isn't it disheartening when the things you say aren't heard? When people aren't listening to you, it is disheartening. I had this feeling about a complaint I made about earbuds recently. Like I've had earbuds for decades without a problem. And I get these earbuds and they're supposedly terrific. And I wore them for like literally an hour and my ears were itching. They were flaking. They were like draining. It was like, whoa, what is, what do you guys put in your earbuds? And, uh, So, when I sent a complaint, uh, they responded with pretty much the most tone-deaf response I could imagine, where they said, all of our products are rigorously tested. We ensure that there's nothing dangerous in your earbuds. One of the big problems is your ears probably aren't clean. (laughs) You need to clean your ears sometimes, and also don't wear them 10 hours a day. Only wear them for a short period. And I'm like, did you read what I said? I said, I wore them for one hour in a week's time and I got a reaction. I've always had these, never had a reaction, but now I have. So why aren't you listening to me? I don't feel like you're hearing me. And you feel like pretty helpless at that time because they're just not, they're just covering themselves and saying what a great company they are. Oh, and if you have any other questions, just ask. Okay. You know, when when people are grieving and broken, it's better to listen to them than to weigh in of all the things they should have done or could have done to prevent it or how it's really their fault or that they need to learn how to deal with it. We need to listen, show compassion. Just wait, We don't have to try to defend God's honor because someone is suffering. God is the one who allowed this. God had purposes that were good, he would bring through it. Instead of blaming the tormented soul, we can say with compassion, I'm so sorry. And listen, Job admitted he was in the dark. He didn't know what to do, how to move forward. God had not shed light on his situation at all. He felt trapped in a prison of pain and darkness. And he compares his plight as a king who's been defrocked, who's been stripped of his crown, his glory and power. And people once came to him for judgment and Job could just say the word and minister and make a difference in the lives of others. People would come to him seeking his advice and his help. He, he used to strengthen the weak, but now people wouldn't even listen to him. He was a shell of his former self. He was at a point where he was really broken and unrecognizable. The second thing, Job said that God uprooted his hope like a tree. Now, as long as a tree is in the ground, there's a chance it can grow. It can sprout again. We've seen trees in areas that were badly burned that sprang back to life with rain, with a bit of time. But a tree that's fallen over and has no roots in the ground, it's going to dry out. It's dead. It's not going to grow. It's not going to be fruitful any longer. Job compared himself to an enemy that God had surrounded and he says he built a road, so it's not like he sent in some special forces to attack him. You know, I could get in, get out. They were going to besiege them. They they built a road to accommodate troops, and munitions and equipment. And it was a long process. Where he's like, a thoroughfare for that army is to my tent. He didn't have a castle to barricade himself in. There was no keep where he could find security. He is in a tent. Like there was no safety there. If you guys knew bears and lions and, you know, thieves were abundant in a forest and you're in a tent, how secure do you feel? Not very secure. So Job, he's showing, like, I'm conscious of the honor that I've lost, of my inability to do what I once could do. I'm hopeless of being fruitful again. I feel attacked, overwhelmed and insecure. You're just surrounding me. He's kind of like a boy who's being bullied, who's shouting uncle. And the more he shouts, the harder he gets punched. And his friends are looking at him going, well, I guess he deserves it. Not showing any compassion on him. Job 19 verse 13. He has removed my brothers far from me and my acquaintances are completely estranged from me. My relatives have failed and my close friends have forgotten me. Those who dwell in my house and my maidservants count me as a stranger. I am an alien in their sight. I call my servant, but he gives no answer. I beg him with my mouth. My breath is offensive to my wife and I am repulsive to the children of my own body. Even young children despise me. I arise and they speak against me. All my close friends abhor me and those whom I love have turned against me. My bone clings to my skin and to my flesh and I have escaped by the skin of my teeth. He describes himself as being lonely, estranged, from his brothers, his friends and acquaintances. He feels like everyone was far away. They had forgotten all about him. When he was most needy, they failed to support him. Now it's hard to tell if this was actually the reality or how Job felt. And likely it's a mix of the two. He had been forgotten. He had been, people were like, Whoa, he's having a hard time. Let's give him some space. We don't want to catch what he has. (laughs) And, and when they did show up, they were accusing him. Feelings of loneliness, it can have a profound negative impact on our outlook. And a really good example of this is in the book of Ruth with Naomi. She and her husband and two sons went to Moab because of a famine in Bethlehem. And while they were there, her husband died. Her sons were both married, but they both died and left widows. So she's widowed. She has two daughters-in-law. And when there was a report that food was now being grown in Bethlehem, she aimed to return. And she told her daughter-in-law, Ruth and Orpa, she says, Go back to your gods, go back to your people and your your I have nothing to offer you. Okay? I'm empty. It's unfair for me for you to wait around until I maybe am married again and maybe have a son that you could maybe marry. Instead, go back to your family, go back to your gods. And Orpah goes, okay. She kisses her leaves, but Ruth says she clung to her. She says, I'm going where you go. Your God will be my God. I'm where you die. That's where I'm going to die and be buried. I mean, she was loyal. She loved her mother-in-law. And when she came back and people saw Naomi in Bethlehem again, it said the whole city was moved. And they go, is this Naomi? And this is what she said. Now, Naomi means... The name means lovely, pleasant, or delightful, but Naomi was anything but those things because in Ruth 1, 20 and 21, it says, but she said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara for the almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full and the Lord has brought me home again, empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has testified against me and the almighty has afflicted me. So she justified her bitterness because what God had done to her. She felt empty. She felt alone. She fixed her focus on what she did not have anymore. She did not have a husband or sons rather than the God who sustained her and the daughter-in-law who loved her. Now Ruth, she could never replace Naomi's husband and sons, but in time she would come to appreciate Ruth and receive her love. She felt empty, bitter, and alone, but God was with her. God would be faithful to her and God would give her a son through Ruth. Job's friends, they weren't listening to him. And he says, my servants don't even listen to me. I'm begging them for help. And they just ignore me like I'm nobody. He says, my breath is offensive to my wife. And some of us can identify with that, um, He could have had bad breath. It could also be she was just annoyed. He still breathed. That's pretty rough, right? The fact he breathed so repulsed her. She just wanted him to be gone. He said, even kids despise me. Little children. You know, I'd love to hold my grandchildren, but they just run away from me. And they would say the darndest things about his smell and his appearance and just wounded him. In many cultures, older people were treated with reverence. They would be honored like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They would be revered and they could do no wrong. But Job, he did not get this respect. He was treated with contempt and ridicule. And he says, I'm repulsive to the children of my own body. It suggests that he had grandchildren who were not, um, who did not perish in that house falling. He says, my friends abhor me. They hate me. They've turned against me. And he's saying, my bone clings to my skin and to my flesh. I've escaped by the skin of my teeth. He's like, I'm dangerously close to death. People don't even want to associate with me. Lest they be afflicted as I am. Verse 21, have pity on me. Have pity on me. Oh, you, my friends for the hand of God has struck me. Why do you persecute me as God does and are not satisfied with my flesh? or twice. He says, guys, have pity on me. Show compassion and mercy. Haven't I suffered enough? Haven't I suffered enough at the hand of God? Why do you feel the need to pile on? Like you need to add to my pain by accusing me of doing wrong, of being the one who brought this situation to pass. This word pity, it means favor, compassion, and mercy. It's more than feeling It's benevolent action taken for the good of the person you sympathize with. I like what Webster said. He said, pity, pity is always painful, yet always agreeable. It's willing to suffer alongside someone because you love them and you care about them. It seems like Job's friends found themselves unable to sympathize with him. They did not pity him. Their disagreement with Job caused them to withhold compassion. They were without pity, quite unlike our Savior, Jesus Christ. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Because God became one of us by putting on human flesh, he understands us. The Bible says he sympathizes with us. So he shows favor, compassion, and mercy towards us. That also means he's merciful and gracious. Those who suffered, have you you seen this? Those who have suffered something, they are enabled to better sympathize with others who are suffering. Because in a sense, they've been there. They know what it means to grieve. They know what it means to suffer loss and pain. And to look to the Lord who gives us hope and confidence. Hebrews 4 14 through 16. It says this, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus is able to sympathize with us because he faced all temptation to sin and he felt more pressure to sin than you ever have because he never gave an inch. Have you ever seen those videos with like a hydraulic press? It's like crushing like a can or it's trying to crush like a piece of steel and it struggles to do so. And you have Jesus who faced all pressure to sin, did not, budge at all. So he felt a lot more pressure than that aluminium can that I can just smash with my foot. Right? Totally different. So he, he knows exactly what we go through when tempted because he faced all temptation yet without sin. So he's able to help us and to show mercy and compassion towards us as we go through that. He hears us. He answers. When we have pride, it creates distance between us feeling with others. But our savior, he extends mercy and grace to us all. Job 19 verse 23. Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book that they were engraved on a rock with an iron pin and led forever. For I know that my redeemer lives and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know that in my flesh, I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself and my eyes shall behold and not another, how my heart yearns within me. If you should say, how shall we persecute him? Since the root of the matter is found in me, be afraid of the sword for yourselves for wrath brings the punishment of the sword that you may know there is a judgment. Job is longing that his words would be written down and preserved like a record of my words, a record of my innocence a record of my faith in God. I want that remembered. I don't want it changed. I don't want it abridged. I want the real thing in stone. So it couldn't be rubbed out with lead. It's, it's permanent. He could not have imagined how God would bring this to pass by including it in the word of God, in the Bible, his word that will endure forever. Heaven and earth will pass away, but God's words will not pass away. Stones, they can be broken. Lead, it can be melted. Iron rusts and turns to nothing. Books can be burned, but the word of God endures. God heard him. God answered him. Now, why did he want his words recorded? That connecting word. Verse 25, for I know that my Redeemer lives. I have a Redeemer who's alive, who will come and vindicate me. He will save me. He will redeem me. There were a lot of things Job didn't know. He didn't know why God had afflicted him, he didn't know why his friends weren't showing pity on him. But Job did know that his Redeemer, he had a Redeemer, and he lives. And that God would stand at last on the earth. And then he says, even after my skin is destroyed with my eyes, I will see God. That is a phenomenal thing to say. Even after the death of his body, he's like, I know I have a redeemer who could redeem me, who will redeem me. One day I'm going to be out of this prison of pain and darkness and hopelessness and be brought into the glorious light of God. And I'll see him with these eyes. This word redeemer, it's goel. In Hebrew, the first mention of this word is by Jacob when blessing the sons of Joseph. Why don't you turn in your Bibles, please, to Exodus 6, starting in verse 6. This is, these are words that God commanded Moses to speak to the Hebrews before he brought them out of the land of Egypt. Exodus 6, verses 6 and 7. And I pause with this word redeemer, because it's very important to get a context of what it means and then how to apply this to our own lives. Exodus 6 verse 6, therefore say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. The word redeem, it means to release from bondage through the payment of a price. So to to pay a price, to release from bondage. Now the Goel had two specific functions. Uh, One of them was to be a blood avenger. We read about in Numbers 35, that was the family's responsibility to bring justice upon the slain. So if someone was killed, the redeemer or the Goel needed to avenge that death, bring justice to that person who had died. A life for a life, according to the law. The civil function of the Goel was to buy back the lost inheritance of a deceased relation. So the Goel is one that fights for justice. It's one who would defend or redeem those who were oppressed. And that comes out in this passage in Exodus. So for that person who is dead, the person who was murdered, there is no hope for them except there's a redeemer. There's a Goel who can stand up for them. Job says, I know I have a redeemer. One who can pay for me, one who can give me justice. Great example of the kinsman redeemer we find in the book of Ruth with Boaz, as I have mentioned previously, the widow Naomi and her widow daughter-in-law, Ruth. They went to live in Bethlehem and there was this older, unmarried, wealthy gentleman who was a family uh, relative of Naomi who delighted to purchase the land that was Abimelech from, um, or Himelech from Naomi and then to take Ruth the Moabitess as wife to raise up seed for the brothers, for Naomi's son's inheritance so that the land would pass through the right line. In time, God caused Ruth to conceive. She bore a son named Obed, the father of Jesse, who was the father of David, who's the king of Israel. And this is what the lady said. So you just imagine you have this bitter woman, Naomi coming back, She's angry. She's bitter. She's, she is just focused on all she's lost. And then she has this baby Obed that she is holding close to her heart. She gets to be the caretaker of this child. And this is what the ladies in the city say to her in Ruth four, fourteen and 15. Then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative and may his name be famous in Israel. And may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you is better to you than seven sons has borne him. How awesome is that? Ruth didn't go to Bethlehem because she wanted a new life or to exploit her mother-in-law. She loved her. She wanted to bless her. Everyone saw the love of Ruth was genuine and God had not left Naomi alone, even though she felt empty. She was filled with joy. She held her grandchild close to her heart. She blessed the Lord who restored her life. I mean, doesn't, isn't that what God does for us? Through our the one who has adopted us, Jesus, that he holds us close. He calls us by his name. He gives us a place with him now and forever. In her bitterness, Naomi felt her life was over. Job, he also had this bleak outlook But then he declares, for I know my redeemer lives and he shall stand at last on the earth. Like I am ruined, but I take courage because I have a redeemer who will vindicate me, who will justify me and he will pay whatever price is necessary to free me from this prison of pain, darkness, and death. Isn't it a a wild thing for Job to say in my flesh, I will see God when we know that Moses, when he asked God, show me your glory, God said, no one can see my face and live. But yet Job is saying in my flesh, I shall shall see God. In the old Testament, we see many glimpses that God would make what's impossible for man possible. That there is an eternal state after death of our bodies, where those who are righteous by faith in God will live in his presence. Turn with me to David's words in Psalm 17, 15. And I just came across this as I was preparing uh, when I was reading the Bible one morning, and I was like, wow, this fits so well with what we're talking about in Job. Where you're like, how could you know that? Well, God revealed it. God revealed this to David. Psalm 17, 15. As for me, I will see your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. That is phenomenal. Imagine like Job's like, one day I'm going to see my redeemer. He's going to stand on the earth. And David's like, one day I'm going to open my eyes and I will be in the likeness of God. That's when I'll be satisfied when I'm like him. Like, how is that possible? We wake up and we don't feel this likeness, right? Right. It's like David understood when my eyes close for the final time in death, when I open them like rising from sleep, I will not just see God, but I will be like him. And that fits so perfectly with what the new Testament reveals in one John three, two, where it's written beloved. Now we are children of God and it has not been yet revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. What confidence and hope and assurance we have in our savior, Jesus. Job knew he had a living redeemer. I haven't seen him yet, but I'm going to see him. And this redeemer was revealed to all when Jesus Christ came to earth as a savior, a redeemer. It's a beautiful revelation of the gospel, the power of God to save lost sinners. By redeeming us through his atoning work on Calvary, that when we trust in him, we're born again. We're called by his name. He, he paid the payment required to satisfy justice with his blood shed. And he offers us forgiveness and eternal life for all who trust in him. And this is what Jesus told his disciples before going to the cross in John 14, 19. He says, a little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. Now, when the disciples saw Jesus die, they were devastated. They were just, their whole world was rocked. But think of this, because I live, you will live also. When Jesus rose from the grave glorified, how did that change their perspective? Like, because he's alive and my life is in him, he is my life, I will live He will bring me through this. He will bring me beyond this life into a place where I will be with him forever. I will look upon him in a flesh glorified like his own. I live because Jesus lives. What a promise. We have a hope beyond this world because we have a living redeemer who hears us, who answers and saves. So Job, he's yearning to be vindicated. He wants his life to be redeemed. He's like, I want to skip to the good part. I want to skip to the good part of life where I'm not feeling this pain. And I'm not in darkness anymore. And, and it can be like that for us too. We want to be vindicated. We feel like we are the victim of injustice and unprovoked attacks. We feel lonely and bitter about what has happened we're confronted with a situation where there's no visible sign of hope. And we're like, I just want to see hope. If I just saw the hope, if I could just see that this situation would improve, I could improve my, my perspective of life. But know this, if you're born again by faith in Jesus, there's no skipping to the good part because Jesus is the good part. He is everything for us. He is our life. We can say with confidence, whatever befalls us, I know my Redeemer lives. Because Jesus lives, I will live also. Our life doesn't consist in the things we possess. Nor in the things we accomplish or what we can do, but in our Redeemer who has shed his blood for us. Paul had written this in Colossians, that we can have knowledge of God's will in wisdom, we can walk worthy of God, fully pleasing him. We can be fruitful. We can be strengthened. We can be marked by patience, long suffering, and we can have joy and give thanks to God because of all Jesus has done. And it's, a, it's quite a long prayer in Colossians 1, but I just want to touch on one and part of it. If you'll turn to Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 13. Just to emphasize again, That Jesus is our Redeemer. He paid the price to free us. He has justified us and He will bring judgment. What good is your Redeemer if, if He's dead? What good could that Redeemer do for you? Not much of a Redeemer. But Jesus lives. Colossians 1.13. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of of the son of his love. In whom we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. The redeemer that Job knew but he had never seen. We see with eyes of faith. As Jesus Christ, the son of God, the one who has redeemed us, the one who's forgiven us through the gospel. Now, Job had a redeemer. And so he finishes this chapter by warning them saying, guys, if you speak against me, know that there's a sword. There is a judgment for you. Um, If you're falsely accusing me, you'll, you'll answer for that. They would ultimately be judged for persecuting him. He says, be afraid of the sword for yourselves for wrath brings the punishment of the sword that you may know there is a judgment. In Revelation 19, we see this, this picture presented of Jesus, uh, the word of God who judges all nations in righteousness. It, it talks about from his mouth goes a sharp sword that smites the nations, that he will rule with a rod of iron, that on his thigh is written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And his vesture is dripped, uh, dipped in blood. And I mean, he, it's a sign of power and authority over all. So we can say with Job, I know my redeemer lives because our souls have been redeemed by grace through faith in Christ. As we re- await the redemption of our bodies, that is going to happen. Our redeemer will be faithful to judge as well. Though we suffer infirmity, infirmity and distress, we can know Jesus is our redeemer. And Romans eight twenty eight says, We know that all things work together for the good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. By faith in God, we can have a good abundant life because we are in him. Jesus is the good part. We shouldn't skip over or ignore. He's the best part of eternal life forever and ever. And we can enjoy him in a relationship with him right now. So if you can't say, I don't know if I have a redeemer. You can in Christ, if you will look to him, if you will trust him, let's thank him. Lord, thank you for sending Jesus to be our redeemer and for this blessed hope of eternal life we have through Christ. Thank you for the forgiveness that was provided through his atoning sacrifice that he paid the price required to free us from sin and death. Thank you for bringing us out of darkness and into light. And Lord, I pray for those who are in darkness right now, who do not know you or who think they know you, but are just feeling around for hope within themselves. Lord, I pray that you would open their eyes to see you, that they would declare as Job did, as David did, that you are the redeemer. You are our savior. And because you live, we will live also. Thank you for that confidence we have in you, that you are our life. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through you. Thank you for those truths, Lord. Thank you for your word. I pray we would be waiting upon you. We'd be listening to you and choosing to honor and glorify you in the trial. Lord, we thank you that you are faithful, even though the trial seems to go on and the pain seems to have no end, that there's a day when Jesus is going to stand on this earth, And we will see him. We will be with him. We will be redeemed and live forever in your presence. And thank you that you have sent your spirit to fill us now. And I pray we would revel and rejoice and celebrate your life and your goodness to us all. In Jesus' name, amen.